good evening. Uh, welcome to Mission Orthodox Presbyterian Church uh, for our evening worship. Uh, this evening, uh, with uh, Pastor Michael and, and his family uh, off uh, on uh, some much-needed vacation, a short weekend, uh, I want to welcome into the pulpit this evening uh, Reverend Jim Hookstra. And Pastor Jim is a really dear friend of, of ours and, and our churches. Uh, he served uh, as the interim minister uh, for us uh, for, for quite a bit of time. Back uh, about 10 years ago. And so, really glad that uh, he can join us once again uh, for, for uh, leading us in worship this evening and also bringing uh, God's word to us. Uh, so, uh, before we begin worship, uh, are there any uh, prayer requests in particular that you want to uh, bring up uh, this evening? Very short has not happened yet, but coming up very shortly. Right. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Any? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Brooke. Brooke's Isaiah. Right.
Our Lord Jesus Christ, to the faithful brothers in Christ Jesus at St. Paul, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our call to worship comes from a psalm that focuses on how Jesus and Melchizedek are similar, uh, that Christ is the ultimate one who has come, the priest king. And so listen to these words as we're called to worship this evening from, from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. And so let's uh, begin by turning in our hymnal to Psalm 110, and it's B, Psalm 110B from your Trinity Psalter hymnal, and let's stand together to sing all the verses of number 110.
high priest that is unlike any other high priest, that is far greater than Aaron, far greater than Melchizedek. And we thank you that not only is he a high priest, but he is our king and prophet as well, that he perfectly executes the office of mediator, uh, Lord, on our behalf. And we thank you and praise you that we have a go-between between us and God, uh, the man Christ Jesus, and the uh, Lord that he ever lives Thank you for your forgiveness, O Lord, through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. We have words of comfort that come from Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. And he remembers that we are but dust. Uh, thank God for his wonderful fatherly compassion to us. Uh, let's uh, think of the priestly work of Christ by turning in our hymnal to number 275. Number 275, this is a great hymn on it, uh, sort of one of those hidden treasures in the uh, Psalter hymnal. Arise, my soul, arise. Number 275, rise together to sing in the praise of our priest.
and we're going to read verses 1 through 17. It's listed as 1 through 25, but I've shortened it down a little bit. Uh, this passage uh, particularly helps us think about this figure called Melchizedek and his relationship to Jesus. And so we'll be looking a little later in the book of Genesis at Melchizedek. And so this is a very appropriate passage to look at. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Give attention to the reading of God's word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. Uh, he was at first, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then is also king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how, this great, uh, how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, although these are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by the one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if protection had been attained uh, through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? And then there is a change in the priesthood. Uh, when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things belong, or spoken of, belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the, or the likeness of Melchizedek, he, he who, who became a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit, that you grant him to us in order to understand your word, that he is our master teacher. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, he would illumine our hearts and minds, O oh, Lord, as we consider your word tonight. We pray that we would see a bit of the glory of Jesus, and we would see, uh, Lord, the centrality of your own glory, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, O Lord, unpack your word before us and grant us understanding. And, O Lord, help us to respond to it with obedience, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
And then if you would take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 14 for our text of this evening. Uh, The text is Genesis 14 verses 17 through 24. Uh, But actually I'm going to start reading a little bit earlier. uh, But um, I'm going to skip a little bit of the very first verses of the chapter. Uh, Let's pick up our scripture reading at verse 8. There has been a battle, five kings against four. And we pick it up in Genesis 14, verse 8, with these words. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adama, the king of Zebulim, the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out. And they joined in battle in the valley of Sidim with uh, Chedorlaomai, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Sinar, and Ariok, king of Elsar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their possessions and went on their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went on their way. Then one who escaped from them told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Marmara in the Amorite, uh, brother of Eschol and Anar, they were allies of Abraham. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit of them as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants defeated them and pursued them uh, to Hubna, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the uh, defeat of Chedorlaomer, And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, uh, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Ashkel, and Marmara have their share. There ends a reading of God's holy word. Taking credit is often tricky business. Perhaps you have remembered your school days or are still in school and you do a group project. I didn't like them. Uh, because oftentimes you would have a few slackers that would be part of the group project. They wouldn't do their work, and they would take the credit for that which wasn't their work. Uh, You ask the question, well, uh, what do you do about that? Who should you give praise to? Now, often with group projects, especially as Midwesterners, we're too passive. Uh, We don't take credit. 
But often as human beings, fallen human beings, we like to take credit for things. Uh, in Deuteronomy 8, remember, as Moses foretells when the people come into the land and they're rich and prosperous and all is going well, they basically would say, my power or effort has brought me this success. Now, if they were Midwesterners, they would have deflected to, to some other individual, perhaps, but they wouldn't have brought it to God and gave him the credit. And no, we like to take credit for our spiritual success, subtly believing that our spirituality is a result of our hard work and dedication. Or we feel that our children have turned out as well, well as uh, followers of Jesus, and that's because I have all my parenting wisdom and techniques down. I've read all the right books, and I've done it right. I can tell you how to raise children. We need to change the song, the well-known song, instead of the line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We need to change it, prone to have it all together, Lord, I know it. How do the promises of God get fulfilled? Uh, yes, there is a call to covenant fidelity, to faith, uh, to trusting and obeying, but does it really come down to us when you put it right down to its most basic level? The Heidelberg Catechism, which the Apostle Paul used in his... No, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism tells us that uh, rewards are even the gift of God's grace. It's not something that uh, we have put together. Ponder what we read for a minute in our Confession of Sin from Ephesians 2. It talks about our past life and says, basically, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but the great news is God made us alive in Christ. And then it goes on in Ephesians 2 to say, by grace we've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. Well, you might say, well, maybe we can rescue the good works from there and say the good works are really the result of our doings and happenings. But as you go on in Ephesians 2, it says those things were prepared in advance for us to do by God. In other words, God is the ultimate source of the salvation, and he's the ultimate source of those good works. Well, when you begin to think about it, how about having a spiritual legacy for yourself and your family? Where does it come from? How about receiving the promise of the new heavens and the new earth? How about making an impact in our society, in our church? Are we really the ones who make it happen or not? Well, this passage before us teaches us that God is the sole benefactor of the promises, that God is the sole benefactor of the promises. Now, as you read this passage, it talks about this figure, Melchizedek, and we know from Psalm 110, that he was not only a priest, as noted here, he was a king as well. Uh, but as you read the early part of the chapter and you work your way through, it just seems like some battles and happenings that go on between kings and that, uh, that there is battle and war, that there's rescue and rescuing. It doesn't seem like the Lord has any role in the battles. It, means, it seems to be very secular there. But as you come to our text, beginning at verse 17 and following, 
It's as if a great big alarm goes off in our hearts and expectations and our assumptions there. There enters upon the seed uh, this veil that is lifted and this dude named Melchizedek. And what you have in him is a recognition that the battle belonged to the Lord, that it came from the Lord. Note verse uh, 20, and who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Everything seems up to that point when you hit Melchizedek as very secular, as if you could live without God. But now we're exposed to the sovereignty of God and the work of God, and we're now exposed to a whole new reality uh, in our thinking that life is not just cause and effect where we're the main workers, but there's so much more going on. Here comes this fellow named Melchizedek. Uh, he comes out of nowhere, it seems, and he seems to disappear into nowhere. Yes, he comes back in Psalm 110. He comes back in Hebrews 5, or, uh, 5 through 7. Uh, but uh, he comes out of nowhere with no family lineage, no heritage, no mention of him before this. But what we do know is a few things about him that outside the family of Abraham, there was true religion. He's called, in verse 18, the priest of the Most High God. And Abraham references as well the uh, Lord Most High or God Most High as he refers back to things there. What do we know about him from his name? Well, we know that Hebrews begins to unpack it, uh, that he was a priest, a priest uh, from... Uh, with a particular name, Melech uh, Sadiq, which means uh, in Hebrew, basically king of righteousness, or the king is my righteousness. And there's more that could be said from the book of Hebrews there. We know later that he is from a place called Salem, or here it uh, mentions that he's from Salem, which means peace. You get the word shalom from it. And then later in biblical history, they put the, the little uh, bit before it, Jerusalem, which is the Hebrew word for city, city of peace. He comes from that place, Salem, uh, Psalm 76, verse 2. But this doesn't all these things about the king of righteousness and the city of peace does not unravel much of the mystery of who Melchizedek really is. Well, let's begin to look a little bit more. Let's unravel this mystery, and we won't answer all the questions tonight, but as we've noted already, he was priest of the Most High God in verse 18 or 17. Uh, that, he, that is who he is. And then we find out from Psalm 110 that he was a king as well, so he's a king priest. Now, some look at Melchizedek as what is called a Christophany. You've heard of theophanies. This is a Christophany, which means a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God, that Jesus was there before his birth in the manger in Bethlehem. And there are some Christophanies in the Scripture. Uh, but as you look at it, I think the key passage becomes Hebrews 7, verse 3. And it says that he resembles the Son of God. Let me quote from that verse for you. 
It says he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, I'm going to pick on some who aren't here, uh, but there's my friend David. And David has his son, uh, Henry. And uh, Henry and David are different. Good thing. Oh, (laughs) Uh, they're different. Uh, from one another. They're not identical. Uh, Henry has some uh, similarities to his father, and like uh, uh, Versa, uh, their uh, things are there. Resemble doesn't have the idea exactly the same is. It means similar or identical. We use the language of type at times. A type, and you remember how the scripture uses that. It says Adam, uh, there is a type of the second Adam. Uh, That Adam, the first mankind, was a covenant head of humanity. And then there came around one later, the second Adam, Jesus, who was the covenant head of his people. And in some ways, there's similarities because they both were federal heads, uh, one and the other. And so Melchizedek is really a type of Christ. I don't believe it is actually the Lord Jesus. It's not wrong uh, to believe that, but I don't think the evidence is, is there. And he's a type of Christ who teaches us important things, even in this passage, about Jesus himself. So let's dig in a little further. As we've noted already from Psalm 110, he is a priest, King Combo. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that combo wasn't around much. Uh, The only ones uh, that did that were the ones who got in trouble. Remember Saul, as a king, uh, went to offer sacrifices because Samuel was late, according to his estimation, and Saul lost the kingship over it. You'll remember Uzziah, the king, who went into the Lord's temple as king and offered incense and perhaps sacrifices, and he was struck with leprosy to his very day of his death. Melchizedek is a figure interesting enough that rolls those two things together. Uh, We would say that he's a foretaste of the grand mediator, the Lord Jesus, who's not only priest and king, but prophet as well. He's a picture for us of the more ultimate one to come to Jesus, or come in Jesus, I mean. You get a sense of the greatness of Melchizedek when you begin to think about the text a little bit more. If you think about Abraham, there's Abraham, and you could say he really in the Old Testament seemed to be the top dog other than the Lord himself in the scriptures. He was the father of the faith. He was the patriarch of the faith. Uh, But you recognize something when this mysterious Melchizedek comes about, the father of the faith submits to, or the father of faith, Abraham, submits to him. In Hebrews 7, 9 through 10, makes that point as it says, uh, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. It says that basically Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. And then it goes on to say, uh, who blessed who, or whom blessed whom there, uh, that what happens is the blessing goes from the superior to the inferior. And what do we have in the text before us? There is Melchizedek, the superior, blessing Abraham, 
the infuri. And so this one is really a big type of Jesus. As you begin to think about this, you try to put it together, and it'll begin to unfold as we look at the text more. Verse 19, it says, and he blessed him, and uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and notice his first words, blessed be Abram by God most high. And we don't know much about blessing in this point at scripture. We know that Jacob blessed some of his sons and grandsons or all of them um, a little bit later in the book of Genesis. But where the idea of blessing begins to really unfold is with the ironic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you, uh, where the Lord puts his name on his people. And what we have here in the blessing done by Melchizedek is the priest of the Most High God pronouncing a priestly blessing over Abraham. In a sense, as priest mediating the power and protection in the name of God to Abraham, it's not merely a prayer, it's actually a blessing. And you have to recognize as you look at Melchizedek that the key to unlocking the promises of God is in the priest king, the one who mediates the blessing to us the one who brings the promises of God to bear on us. You remember Genesis 12 and verse 2, God said to Abraham, I will bless you. And here it is being concretized here as Melchizedek pronounces a blessing over Abraham. And as the priest, Melchizedek is a channel and agent and reason for the blessing. And in this way, Melchizedek is a type of Jesus the ultimate priest who brings and channels all of God's blessing to us. That's why Corinthians says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Praise God. You see, raw blessing cannot come to us as sinners. We must have someone bring it to us and provide it for us. And that one is not ultimately Melchizedek, but Jesus there is Jesus, the one mediator, go-between, between God and man. He is the one who has paved the way and brings and channels the blessing of God to his people. So if we are to recognize that God is the sole benefactor of blessing, that our wisdom, our ingenuity, our might, our strength are not the cause of it, but God is a giver of it solely through Christ. That's why we have blessing is because of the priest king, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the sole mediator of the promises. Secondly, coming from God himself alone or him alone, verses 19 and 20. Now, as you go through your life, you can look at your life and... Uh, uh, all of life on a horizontal basis, horizontal basis, that my earnings, my deserving, my hard work is the reason for the blessings that I have. You can look at this text, Abraham attacked the uh, four kings that had ruled over nine peoples, and he did so wisely, you say. He went at night to get the element of surprise, and he defeated them. And so Abraham was a brilliant strategist there. 
But if you look at the text that way, or you look at life that way, you've missed it all. You see, Melchizedek puts us in the right frame of reference. He says, and blessed be, verse 20, the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. The reason you got the victory, Abraham, was the Lord. The Lord was the determinative cause of the victory. That the Lord is a divine warrior who fights for his people and delivers them from stronger enemies. It was not Abraham's wiseness or might or strength there, but it was the one who's called El Elyon, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that has absolute transcendence and greatness and majesty, that no one or no th nothing tops him. And Melchizedek sees him as the one who is top over all and the one who is not only the creator of the heavens and the earth, but the possessor of the heavens and the earth. Some translations have creator, but I think it's better to translate it possessor because the word has not only the idea of source, but it has the idea that God is intimately involved now as well in his world. In other words, that God owns this, that it is his territory and purview, that he's got it under control and he's involved in it intimately and totally. And so what Melchizedek does and testifies in his blessing is it is all of God and Abraham is only a tool. God had granted the victory and God deserves the credit. Now, what's at issue here is the land of promise. That's why Abraham goes. Because they had invaded Cana, the land that God had promised to Abraham and his seed. But notice when Melchizedek summarizes things in his words, he doesn't even refer to the land. Uh, not even the promised land. But Melchizedek, in his words and benediction and doxology, dwells on the giver rather than the gift. He sees more ultimately as the giver than even the gift. A.B. Simpson, who was one of the founders of the Christian Missionary Alliance, wrote a poem, a hymn, I don't remember what the order of it was, uh, but it went this way, himself is the name of it. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Melchizedek realizes what is most important. Yahweh, or God, most high, El Elyon. The verse divisions in the Bible are not original in the original inerrant text. They were added later. But it's really interesting if you move 15.1 up into 14. Uh, it goes together with 15 very well, but there's a thought that completes something in 14. It says this in 15.1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield your reward shall be very great. It wasn't what the king of Sodom could bring to him. It was what the Lord could bring to him. And who the Lord was, his reward was ultimately God. 
So the sole benefactor of the promises is God coming from him alone. Notice, uh, you know I'm a preacher. It's responded to with a tithe. Uh, you know I had to slip that in there. Notice verse 20, the end of it. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. A tithe basically means a tenth. Melchizedek, by this, was showing that Abraham was greater than him. and uh, Or uh, Abraham, by this, was showing that Melchizedek was greater than him. And Abraham tithes the spoils. One thing to carefully note, this was a voluntary tithe, best we can tell. God didn't tell him to do it. He just did it. If you look over in Genesis 28, the life of Jacob at Bethel, he does the same thing. Now you're a little more comfortable because you realize it's a voluntary tithe, so you're off the hook when it comes to it. Uh, You're thinking, ah, that doesn't apply to me. But begin to think a little bit more of the text and what's happening in the text. A true servant and priest of the Lord receives a customary tithe given in honor to the Lord. This is before the Mosaic economy and outside of it. And what the heart of tithing represents is that God is the owner and complete benefactor. And that we exist and are blessed only because of the gracious generosity of our God, his rich generosity. And the tithing in the text is really a recognition of that. That I myself or we ourselves have been blessed by God and my blessing is a gift totally of God's grace. It's not so much the money, although that's part of it, but it's the recognition of ownership that I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. Christ Jesus with the precious blood of the lamb laid down his life and I am now to honor God with my body and as uh, The Heidelberg Catechism says, I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We need a good God-centeredness when we look at life. That all I have in life of any good is a gift of his grace. That I recognize, James 1, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. That our God, our Father, is full of generosity and that we are amazed and stunned by his generosity. And my generosity is just an overflow of being stunned by how gracious and wonderful God is. The Lord is the suzerain of the promised land. It didn't go to cheddar. And the tithe was a recognition of that fact that all that I have and all that I own is really a gift from God, a God who is so gracious and kind. God, the sole benefactor of the promises, responded to with a tithe. And then we're looking at verses 21 through 24, refusing to honor others, refusing to honor others. Now, you see Abraham's oath there, and you can take it in the wrong direction. What do I mean by that? If God is a source of all things, therefore we don't thank anybody but God. You know, we don't give people credit for what they've done. Uh, They've helped us through a time of suffering. Just uh, don't give them credit. Or we can take it the wrong way. Anybody says you have a gift or that just to... Uh, uh, in false humility or forced humility, don't thank me, thank God. 
when really what we probably should do is just a simple thank you. Thank you for the encouragement there. But yet, we need to hear what this text is saying. Why did Abraham refuse the king of Sodom's gift for himself? Because Abraham did not want to be bound to the king of Sodom as his benefactor. He wanted to recognize completely that God alone was the old owner and provider of the promises of God. That God alone was the reason that Abraham was great. That God was a great suzerain of the promised land and he defended it himself. And so now Abraham takes an oath. Let's look at it in verses 22 and 23. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I made Abraham rich. Now in verse 23, he categorically denies anything to the the king of Sodom. Uh, Because you see the idea, if he took that gift, it would lend itself to the demonic idea that Sodom was the benefactor of Abraham and not the Lord. And Abraham wanted to make crystal clear that he relies on God rather than his military might or others' might or help to secure the promised land. He will not be beholden to the king of Sodom, for God alone is the one who deserves the glory not kings or their gifts, that he might become a great nation and have a great name. No, it was from the Lord alone. The point is not that Abraham was not greedy. Certainly, he's not greedy. But the point is, where did he and why did he receive the blessing? He wanted to make it crystal clear that he received the blessing because of the Lord. And he takes this oath of total allegiance to the Lord. Ah. I won't take it because the credit belongs to the one who's the possessor of heaven and earth. As you go through your life, do you see your gifts as gifts or do you see them as earnings? Do you see the land of promise, the new heavens and the new earth as a grant from the one who is the benefactor of heaven and earth, do you see the Lord truly as a giver of every blessing in life? And the world is full of his blessings. Yes, the world is full of the fall and the common curse and the special curse, but the world is full of his blessings. Midwesterners were usually more humble in the outside. We usually divert praise to others. But inside, because of the fall, we all have a problem with pride. Martin Luther used to speak about it like a beard. You have to shave it once a day. Teddy Roosevelt's daughter said her father wanted to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. Spiritual pride is all around. You know, I'm just a little bit better, or a lot bit better. But do you really recognize it's not about me? It's about him. 
and all the blessings that come filtered through Jesus are all of grace. And the Lord overwhelms us daily, loads us with benefits, all of his grace for his glory. And so give him the glory that he alone deserves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful text and the unpacking of it before our very eyes. We thank you for the sovereign teaching spirit who has helped us, O oh Lord, to understand it. Use this text in our lives, O oh Lord, and use it that you might receive all the glory and praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. As we're thinking of Melchizedek today, we're thinking about all things coming through the channel of the great priest Christ. We realize how we can stand before the throne of God above is only through the work that is found in Jesus. And so if you would turn in your hymnal to number 277, Before the Throne of God Above. Let's stand together to sing. Please be seated. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, this Sabbath day, Father, that uh, you have created for us uh, to rest and to worship you, Father, to think of heavenly things, Lord, to think of your glory and your majesty, your governance of all things in the world, in our lives, Lord. Lord, we pray for the people of Ukraine and the continued war uh, that is there as they are trying to defend their country, Lord. We pray that you would, would be with them under great duress and great devastation that is occurring uh, at the hand of man. Lord, we pray for the people of Turkey and Syria uh, who uh, are suffering under an intense natural disaster, Lord, this week, uh, with many people killed. Lord, we acknowledge that you govern all things for your glory, whether it be war or natural disaster, Lord. We know that all things work together for your purpose. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are providentially involved in governing all things, Lord, that we can do nothing that is outside of your will, that nothing happens that is outside of your will. And what a, what a great comfort that is. Lord, we pray that, that uh, as these people in these countries are afflicted, Lord, that they would uh, turn to you, Lord, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would turn to his church. For we know that uh, in Christ's visible, outside of Christ's visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Lord, and we pray that these people would be saved, that they would be brought to you, that you would use these calamities as, as instruments to drive people to you, Lord. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church around the world, where faithfulness to you risks imprisonment or even death. We pray for our brothers and sisters in China, who have undergone immense persecution in recent years, Lord, with pastors and parishioners being ripped out of their churches while they're conducting worship services, praising you. We know that this, Father, is also within your providential care. And Lord, we pray that, the, that this persecution would only strengthen the church, in China, that, it, that your church would expand more rapidly, Father, and more deeply, Father, as people would put their hope and trust in you and not of the vain things of this world. We pray, Father, for uh, the safety of, of uh, those who were just arrested uh, today, Lord. 
uh, and we pray that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them, that you would strengthen their faith, Lord. We pray, Father, for the church here in the Twin Cities. We pray that the gospel would be going forth in, in our city amongst a culture that is increasingly hostile to you and also a, a culture that is changing uh, rapidly, Father. And we pray that as new people come here, Lord, that churches throughout the Twin Cities would be proclaiming your name, that they would be reaching out, and that we would be reaching out, Father, with missions and with evangelism, Father, to bring more people unto you, that we would be instruments, Father, as you bring your kingdom to bear in this world. Father, we thank you for Pastor Hookstra, and we thank you, Father, for his deep and dedicated service to our sister church, Emmanuel, in Anoka, Lord. We thank you for his many decades of service, uh, planting churches, Father, in Texas and in Wisconsin and now in Minnesota. Lord, and we thank you for his work on our presbyteries. Committee of Church Planting, Father. And Father, we pray that as the Presbytery uh, continues to deliberate uh, how it might extend your kingdom through the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, Lord, that, that uh, you would use Jim as a faithful instrument in bringing that to bear. Father, we pray that many more churches, many more Reformed churches, will be planted here in Minnesota, here in the Twin Cities, here in our neighborhoods, Father. Father, we pray for Pastor King. We thank you for his service and bringing the word to us uh, this morning. We thank you, Father, for all of his faithful work that he has done uh, also over many decades. Many people have been touched by his ministry to them, Lord, and we have here as well for the work that he has done, uh, even within our congregation. Lord, we thank you, uh, and we continue to pray for him and, and Priscilla, Lord, uh, that you would continue to be with them uh, in his retirement. Father, we pray for Pastor Michael and Sam as they are vacationing uh, over this weekend. Lord, we thank you for his service to our church, and we pray that this is a good week of rest, rest for them and that you would be with them uh, this week. We pray for Jacob and Allie Johnson as they welcome their new son, Brooks, Isaiah, into their family, and also into our family, Father. Father, we pray that our congregation would uh, uplift that family and that we would be able to, to minister to them and also that we would minister to Brooks. We thank you, Father, for the 
the report that there was no uh, serious blood clot issue with Allie. Uh, she went to the hospital today. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with her as she recovers from uh, delivery this past week, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that it has uh, been otherwise uneventful. We pray, Father, for the Mickelson's daughter, Erin, who is being, who's been induced today, Lord. And we pray, Father, that, that the delivery of, of her baby would be uh, safe and that the doctors would continue to uh, care and monitor, for, monitor her as, as uh, she gives birth, hopefully today or within or tomorrow. Lord, we pray for Mark Pernicke's mom, uh, who was just transitioned, Father, to a, a nursing home and has fallen, Lord, uh, multiple times. Lord, we pray for the administrators of that, that home that they would, would know uh, how to keep her safe, Lord, in this new environment, and that they, they would work, uh, work well, Father, to keep uh, her from falling. Lord, we pray that uh, that this would that this would pass, Lord God. We pray for Samuel Miller, who broke his foot uh, yesterday. Lord, we pray for uh, your healing presence, Lord, as he recovers from this. Lord, uh, we pray for the Miller family as as they make adjustments, Lord, to to accommodate uh, his broken foot. Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are lonely, who are discouraged, Lord, uh, who need the comfort of you and the comfort of our congregation, Lord. Lord, maybe, may we know how to minister to them. And Father, give us the energy, Father, to minister to them to help them during their dark seasons and their difficult times, Lord God. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us take out our Trinity Psalter hymnals and close with singing by singing Psalm 87, Selection A. And let us please stand as we do so. Hymn 87, Selection A.
because of the great one who is a greater Melchizedek, we can receive this blessing from God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his wonderful peace.